if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, turn to Genesis 25. We're going to be in 25, Genesis 25, 27, and ultimately Genesis 36. We're looking at the book of Obadiah. Remember, uh, we're studying Obadiah, but we're looking at the background. So that's why you're in Genesis, okay, as I just realized that. But it is the shortest prophecy, the shortest book in the Old Testament, but it has a big, huge background to it. And that's what we're doing. We're studying the background because God expects us to read his word, to read it repeatedly so that we can remember it. And so when he drops references, he assumes we've read the whole Bible. So if you've never read through the entire Bible, uh, please get that done by next week. Yeah, yeah, sure, okay. No, start reading it. And you can read a chapter a day and get through it. You will get through it. You can read three chapters a day. You can get through it in a year. But we're going to look at the background. Now, remember we said that Esau is a man. Edom is the nation that came from the man. And Obadiah is a book about Obad-Edom. It is God's prediction of judgment upon the nation of Edom that came from the loins of Esau. And last, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the life of Esau, who lived to feed his flesh, and he became the forefather of Edom. So if I would summarize last week, uh, two weeks ago, if you weren't here, if I would summarize it, it's there in your notes, Edom's family tree is rooted in fleshly living. Edom, the nation is rooted in the fleshly, uh, fleshly living of Esau, their forefather. And if I would sum up what we've seen and what we're going to see, it's this. Living to feed the flesh forfeits the blessings of God. You could write over that first part, Esau. Living to feed the flesh forfeits the blessings of God, But more importantly as well, it leaves a legacy of feeding the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit. And you could say, that's the story of Edom. So two weeks ago, we did the story of Esau. Now we're going to look at Edom this week and next. And we see a little review from two weeks ago that Esau was a family feud between the flesh and the Spirit. You had these two twin boys. Esau and Jacob, born at the same time, but even in the womb, they are battling. And so as review, we talked about the battle of the bulge. That's why I have you in Genesis 25. In Genesis 25, 19 through 23, there is a war in the womb between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh represented by Esau, the spirit represented by Jacob. And if you want to see the key verse that summarized what we learned... Look at verse 23 in your Bibles. Genesis 25, 23. This prophecy sets the destiny of these two boys. And we're going to see it played out today and next week. And it's this. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, the older twin, the first to come out, was Esau, and he was the stronger. And yet, even though he had the rights of primogenitor, the firstborn rights to rule, Jacob is going to be the one, and yet Jacob is the weaker. And that's going to be true throughout their nations. Israel is always going to be the weaker one, And Edom is going to be the stronger one. So if you take anything away from that prophecy, it's this. The older and stronger will serve the younger and weaker. Then you have the birth of the boys. That's verses 24 through 26. When they're born, they receive names. Esau's name is based on his appearance. He's red and he's hairy. Esau meaning meaning hairy. Okay? And Edom, the nation from which he comes, or the nation which comes from him, means red. Jacob acted 
by grabbing the heel. So when, when the first twin comes out, the other twin is grabbing the heel like trying to pull him back in the womb so he can come out first and be the leader and the firstborn and the blessed. Jacob names uh, means schemer, one who trips. It was like he was tripping him by grabbing his heel. So we kind of get these two boys and one has a more fleshly left, uh, lifestyle. The other, Jacob, has the more stable one. Then we come to the rest of chapter 25, the bargain for the birthright. And that's really where we spent our time two weeks ago. We talked about as the boys grew, Esau looked like an animal, and sadly, he chose to live like one. He lived for his fleshly uh, appetite. Okay, Jacob had a more stable and a more spiritual outlook. He wanted the things of God, even though... He was a sinner, just like Esau, and he went about it in a scheming and deceitful way. He still had his sights on that which was eternal and the better portion. And so he, uh, he knows uh, Esau's appetites for the flesh, and so he creates a tasty meal of red beans, red stuff. And Esau comes in, and he's hungry, and he says, give me some red stuff. And he says... Jacob is smart, and he says, I won't give it to you unless you give me your birthright. And Jacob's like, well, what good is my birthright? That's something spiritual. That's something on down the road. Right now, I want some red stuff. And so he says, give me the red stuff. You can have my birthright. And Jacob does it, and he sells his birthright. You want to see the important verse on that? Look at verse 34. 25 verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. That's bean stew. It was red. And yes, last week, two weeks ago, I had to just go and get some chili beans and good stuff. I have Jesus first, but I can still have, you know, beans as well. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate, he drank, and he rose, and he went on his way. Just like that. And notice what it says. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He treated it his spiritual blessings as cheap, as unimportant, and something that can be sold in order to satisfy his flesh. But here's the rest of the story. Now turn to chapter 27. And we're going to look at today, briefly, bitterness over the blessing. Because there was two things that a son would want from their father in this culture. First, if you were firstborn, you got the birthright. But with the birthright came the father's blessing. And it's in that blessing that, in a sense, the birthright is bestowed. And so you get a double blessing as the firstborn son. So there's a tension here. He's already sold his birthright to Jacob, and yet he still wants the blessing. It's really not his. He sold it away. And yet he's still trying to get it. And what we're going to see is Rebecca, and, oh, and, and by the way, the two kids, so totally different, were also favored by their parents. So Rebecca loved Jacob, the, the homebody, more of a mama's boy. And Isaac loved uh, Esau, and he loved him especially for the fleshly game that he would hunt and the savory meals he would prepare from it. And so as we go into this, Rebecca realizes that Isaac is old. He's not only old, he's blind. And he's about to try to give the blessing to Esau. And Rebecca says, I'm having none of that. Jacob, get over here. We're going to scheme. So here's the schemer and his mother helping to scheme. And he sa she says, we're going to have this and we're going to deceive your dad. And I'm going to fix him his favorite savory meal. And that's repeated throughout chapter 27. Isn't it interesting? The fleshly appetites of the dad and of the son are both uh, lead to disastrous results. I'm going to fix his favorite meal, and we're going to fix you up. He's blind, but he's going to touch your hand. He's going to touch your head. So he covers Jacob with goat hair. Now, just pause for a moment. How hairy was Esau? That's very hairy, okay? 
So if you can put goat skin on your hands and someone feels it and says, oh, that's Esau. I mean, this guy, I don't know. We, we just, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. So let's look at it. Look at verses 29 through 41. Let's take a look at chapter 27 there in your Bibles and 29 through 41. So they, they set up. Well, before we get it, let me set up a little more. So here's Isaac, or I mean, here's uh, Jacob, covered in goat skin, carrying in uh, uh, his mom's favorite savory dish for their dad. And they come in, and Isaac's blind, and he says, You sound like Jacob, but you say you're Esau. Here, let me touch you. And he touches the goat skin. No, that's him. And, and he has on uh, Esau's clothes, and he says, you smell like Esau, you feel like Esau. Okay, I'm going to give you the blessing. So let's look at that. Let's, let's start in verse uh, uh, 24. It says, or let's, let, uh, 22, begin in 22. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau, one red, hairy dude. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's hands. So he blessed him. And here's how it played out. And he said, are you really my son? And Jacob said, I am. And so he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. Basically, he's saying, I'll sell you the blessing for a tasty meal, just like Esau. And he brought it to him, and he ate, and he also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father, as Isaac, said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. He's still a little suspicious. So he came close, and he kissed him, and when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him, and here's what he said. Here's the blessing that Esau wanted, but Jacob got. See the smell of my son. It is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth. That's just blessings upon blessings upon blessings to have abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Okay, so you're going to get all the blessings of the firstborn. Then notice this. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now, no sooner that he blesses who he thinks is Esau, but it's Jacob. Jacob leaves. Esau comes in. Look at verse 30. Now it came about as soon as Esau had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently. And he said, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. Once the blessing was, blessing was given, it was not able to be taken back. Verse 34. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry. Here, Esau begins to become the root of bitterness that is talked about in Hebrews. A great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me. Even me also, oh my father. Now all of a sudden that birthright is really important. All of a sudden he's not thinking about meat, bean soup and, and chili beans and satisfying his flesh. All of a sudden he wants the spiritual blessings. And many a man and woman on their deathbed will regret how they fed their flesh instead of walked in the spirit when they know that it's too late and you can't take the world's things with you. 
This is what he's feeling. Verse 35, and he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And I would put that in quotes because he really had already sold the blessing with the birthright. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted or tripped me up or manipulated me these two times? He took away my birthright. That's not true. You sold it to him for a bowl of red stuff. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? And the answer is yes. Uh, Double blessing, firstborn blessing. Bless me, even me also, O my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, And because the blessing's been given, all he has is what I call an unblessing. You know, seven up is the uncola. You know, we're a drink, but we're not that. Well, here's a blessing that's not really a blessing. It's really the opposite of what he gave to Jacob. And in a sense, it's almost a curse. Listen to this. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling. Away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live. And your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about that when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. What we're going to begin to see today and into next week is the fulfillment of that strife and that strength and that sword between Jacob and Esau. Notice verse 41. Here's the key. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The strife, the rivalry has now begun and it will be passed down. So let me just say real quickly here this. Be careful and guard your heart from an unforgiving, bitter spirit. Because it will be passed on for generations unless we repent and unless our kids Repent of that which we pass on. It is a horrible, horrible outcome for this family. But I want to offer you hope this morning that in Jesus Christ we can repent and we're not doomed to become what our parents and our forefathers have passed on to us. If, we, if Esau would have just repented with true repentance and exercised faith in the promises of God, he could have been delivered as well as his children's children. So let's take a look at it. I've told you the story. The only blessing that was left for Esau was an unblessing. And here's the aspects of it. Huh? So let's look at it. The aspects of that unblessing we're going to see fall, are fulfilled throughout history. Let's see the next one, Jeremy. Um, here's the idea. One, away from the good land. And the good land is going to be the promised land. And sure enough, they are not going to, Edom will not settle in the promised land. They're going to live by the sword. They're going to be aggressive. In fact, not only away from the good land, we're going to see that they live high up in the rocks, in the rocky rocks on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan River. And there's going to be this, this fortress of rock and high and lifted up their nation. They're going to live by the sword. They're an aggressive nation, particularly against Israel. You're going to serve your brother, Jacob, Israel. The nation of Israel is going to ultimately rule over you, but you're going to try to rule over them by the sword, and you will rebel against his rule over you. This sets the stage for the rest of the nation, and it plays out. So when we see Obadiah, that's like in the middle of your Bible, it's rooted all the way back here in Genesis 25, 27, and Genesis 36. So here we see the root of bitterness that's going to spread. Now, 
What about the legacy? Turn your Bibles now to Genesis 36. And we're going to see the nation that comes from Esau's fleshly living. Esau lives to feed the flesh. The legacy he leaves is to the nation of Edom. So we're going to look at four characteristics of this nation. And it's all in Genesis 36. So I'm not going to read the whole uh, chapter, but let's read the first nine verses. Okay, so are you there? Genesis 36. Now these are the records of the generations of Esau, which means hairy. That is Edom, which means red. Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And Olabama, that's a great name, the daughter of Ana, and the granddaughter of Zibion, the Hivite. So he's marrying Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites. He's not marrying within God's chosen people. Also, he takes a third wife, Basemuth, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Naoboth. So his third wife, okay, fleshly feeding of the flesh. I don't want one wife. I want two. I don't want two. I want three. He marries not out of, out of uh, Isaac's line. He marries out of Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the handmaiden who was given in unbelief to Abraham by Sarah. And Olabama bore Jeush and Jalam and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all his household and his livestock and all his cattle and all his goods, which he had acquired in the land. So he's strong, he's rich, he's powerful. And he went to another land away from his brother Jacob. So we see he is already moving away from the promised land. For their property became too great for them to live together in the land where they sojourned could not sustain them because of their livestock. Who does that sound like? That sounds like the separation of Abraham and Lot. And Lot chose that which was satisfying to his senses. Esau is now moving away. So notice, the prediction is you're going to be away from the good land, but he's freely choosing it as well. So you see God's sovereignty and human responsibility are freely interacting. So Esau lived in the hill country of Seir. And Seir also means hairy, hairy because it was hill country. There was trees on it. When you looked at it, it looked like a hairy head. And Esau is Edom. These are the records of the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. The rest of the chapter will lay out what we're going to look at. Let's take a look at it. Look at his fleshly children. In the prophecy of Obadiah, he keeps referring to the house of Esau, the descendants. Well, here's what he's referring to. He had wives according to the flesh. He married two Canaanite women, which really frustrated Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau, in his fleshly, worldly wisdom, said, I know what I'll do. I'll marry Ishmael's daughter. That'll make my parents happy. No. <laughs> no. Godly wisdom is what brings joy to a parent. Making decisions in light of God's promises, pursuing God's presence is what satisfies godly parents. And the children, here, notice in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 36, he has these children. But notice what happens in verses 40, uh, well, let's look at 31 through 43. Here's what happens to the children. Edom becomes this dynasty of kings. And in verse 31 and following, we see there's eight successive kings. And then in verses 40 through 43, we see there are 11 powerful chiefs in Edom. Remember, he's the stronger. So here's these kings, dynasties, all this is going on. Well, what's going on with Jacob's family at this time? Joshua 24.4 says this, To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. So while Edom is growing as this powerful, powerful warlike nation with a dynasty of kings, 
Israel doesn't even have a king. They're not even a nation yet. They're a people enslaved in Egypt. They are the weaker. So that's the fleshly children. Let's look at his fleshly country, the land of Edom. Where does Esau and his people move to? The land of Edom. Well, the location of Mount Sur, you can see it there on your, on your map that I have in your notes. Edom is down south, farther south than Judah. It's on the wrong side of the promised land. It's on the wrong side of the Jordan River. That tells you something, okay? And it neighbors Judah. And that's going to be the strife. And what is Judah? Judah comes is a son, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. But what's special about Judah? That's the tribe from which will come the Messianic king, who will conquer all the nations. So here they are on the wrong side of the promised land, related by blood to the Israelites, and they're neighboring right up against Judah, who's going to eventually conquer them. With this dysfunctional family, how do you think that those national borders, how's that going to play out? Well, we're going to see. We're going to see how it is. So that's the location of Mount Seir. The Lord gave the land to the Edomites as their possession. Now, this is what's interesting, too, that God is sovereign over the nations. And so even though Esau and his fleshly living produced this nation of Edom, and they're not following the covenant God, he still gives them a land that is theirs. Now, it's a land on the wrong side of the promised land. It's not in the promised land, but it's their land. And God enabled them to have it. And it was due to his strength that they had it. Okay, so it's God's common grace. In fact, Deuteronomy 2 says this, that just uh, Yahweh did for the sons of Esau who live in Seir when he destroyed the Horites from before them, and they dispossessed them and settled in their place even to this day. God enabled that to happen, okay? So much so, this is how important, how God gave that land to the Edomites so much that when Israel came to occupy the promised land, he told them, don't you even take one foot Don't even take one square foot of their land. It's their land. I gave it to them. Interesting. Let's look at it. Deuteronomy 2, 2, 2 through 4. Here's what he says. Uh, This is Moses speaking. And the Lord spoke to me saying, You have circled this mountain long enough, Sinai. Now turn north and command the people saying, You will pass through the territory of your brothers, the sons of Esau, who live in Seir. You're going to pass through their territory, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. In other words, they're going to be prone to react in fear and make war. Don't do it. Do not provoke them, for I will not give you any of their land, even as little as a footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession." You shall buy food from them with the money, with money so that you may eat, and you shall purchase water from them with money so that you may drink. In other words, don't steal from them, don't commit war on them. Why? They're your they're your blood relatives. You don't do that. I gave them that land. Now, I've given you a better land, but I gave them their land. And what was the lay of this land? We're going to see in the book of Obadiah, it talks about the high cliffs, and we'll look at the pictures there in your notes. There's two major characteristics of their land. It was a natural fortress because it was built into the rocks, and they lived high up into the rocks. It's in the land, uh, the country of Jordan today. It's today known as Petra, and it's high, and it's rock, and they lived in this rock, and it was strong, and it was secure, and it made them proud. But it was also along a north-south passage trade route called the King's Highway. So basically, Edom had the opportunity to make people pay tax to come through their land. So they got rich. So they, they got this secure fortress for war. They have wealth as they exploit the merchants of the, of the world that pass through their country. Also, as they pass through their country, they're picking up wisdom from the Egyptians. So they're, they're very warlike, 
They're very wealthy and they're very wise, but all of it is worldly wisdom, worldly wealth, worldly strength. And all of that roots a great pride in ourselves. Look what I have. Look what I have done. Look what I know. Look what I do. You know, in English, the center letter of pride is what? I. And in English, the center letter of sin is what? I. That's what's going on here. So let's look at the fleshly cities. The fleshly cities. Uh, Again, in the prophecy of Obadiah that we'll get to, it talks about the mountains of Esau. Why? Because they lived high in the mountains. But also, mountains are strength. They had three strong cities. Basra in the north with its fleshly wealth. So because it was up in the north, it had uh, control of the king's highway, and they became very wealthy with worldly wealth. Teman was in the south, and it was known for its wisdom, its fleshly wisdom. Okay, it had a lot of wisdom. In fact, one of Job's three counselors was Eliphaz, who was, called, who was from Teman. Eliphaz the Temanite. And so they're just known for this. And Teman was one of the grandsons of Esau. And then the third city you need to be aware of is Selah, the capital with its fleshly strength that enabled them to be a warlike people and know no one can come back and get us in our fortress. It's hidden away to the north near Basra in the most inaccessible part of red sandstone cliff. So here's the irony of Esau, okay? He was a red, hairy man who sold his birthright for red beans soup and who lives in red rocks of the capital, Selah. It's hidden away. And we read in Obadiah 3, God says, Edom, you live in the cleft of the rock. Literally, rock is Selah. He's saying, look, you're high up in this rock fortress, which is now Petra. And you think you're high and lifted up, and no one can bring you down. But I will bring you down. I will bring you down. It's now known as Petra. There's your pictures of it. Can you imagine the access, that first picture, the access to their city of Selah, their capital, is about a 15-foot wide cavern. I mean, how are you going to get an army through there? Plus, you're going to get picked off as you go through there and as you come out. Then you see in that second picture, you go through this narrow cavern, and there's the, the temple. And that last picture is the temple. Once you come out of that cavern, then you see it. And there's so many pictures. Just Google Petra. You ought to for this study. And look at some of these amazing pictures. It's just up in the rocks, thousands of feet up in the air. And what a fulfillment of God's prophecy. The problem is it made them a very proud, arrogant people. Fourth, let's look at his fleshly conflict. The family feud with Israel. The fleshly conflict. The first thing I want you to see is this. That they had a covenant relationship by brotherly blood between Edom and Israel. So here's what you need to know. We think of covenants as redemptive covenants. This isn't a redemptive covenant. It's a blood It is a blood covenant, but it's a blood covenant based on family physical blood. And basically it's this. When you're born into a family, you enter into a covenant relationship, whether you chose it or not. The choice you have is whether you're going to be faithful to that family and faithful to that covenant relationship. And they were in this covenant. That's why in Deuteronomy, I already read, God says to them, look, Your brothers are the Edomites. Don't you commit war against them? Don't initiate that. And don't take a square foot of their land. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23, 7, God says, You shall not detest an Edomite. Why? For he is your brother. He is your brother. He is your brother. Israel wasn't to take one foot. So here's here's what I want you to see. Israel had a promised land. 
based on faith and grace with the, with the redeeming God, Yahweh. Esau had a promised land due to common grace. God in his sovereignty said, Esau, Edom, I know you don't believe in me. I know you don't follow my law, but you are related to my people and I am going to give you a nation of your own and I expect the two of you to get along. So, covenant relationship means covenant responsibility. Let's look at that. The covenant responsibility to bless his brother Israel. So, here's the thing. A covenant relationship involves a covenant responsibility. And the responsibility between the two nations, Israel and Edom, was to get along. But greater than that, Edom was to bless his younger brother because God had chosen them as his covenant people. Remember the covenant with Abraham? Let me read to you Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, Israel, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. As long as they turn to your God in faith. Remember the blessing to Abraham, to Jacob? Here's the last verse. Genesis 27, 29. May people serve you, nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you. And blessed be those who bless you. So let me give you four aspects of Edom's responsibility that we're going to see next week they horribly failed to do. Here's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to bless God's people, not curse them. These are my people. Bless them, don't curse them. Because if you curse them, you're cursing me and you're going to have to answer to me. Bless them, not curse them. Number two, help them. Don't hinder them. Treat them like family because they are family. So what do you do with family? You help family, right? So help them. Don't hinder them. And then thirdly, worship the God of Israel and quit pursuing the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Listen, your brother Israel, Jacob, and the nation from them are my people. They will provide you priests, kings, and prophets to know me. So worship them. Quit this legacy of fleshliness. Repent, turn, worship the one true God. Sadly, though, there's consequences when we fail to to fulfill our covenant responsibility. So let's take a look at it. The covenant rebellion by Edom against his brother Israel results in a bitter national rivalry that will cover 2,000 years. And we're going to cover it all next week. 2,000 years of bitter rivalry. Let's go back to that. Go back to that for a moment. There you go. So they're in a covenant relationship due to common grace, blood brothers. That relationship has responsibility. Get along. But because Jacob has the birthright and the blessing, and they're God's people, Edom, you need to follow this nation and their God, Esau. But there's consequences. So if you fulfill a responsibility, what happens? What do you get when you fulfill covenant responsibilities? Responsibilities. You get blessing. What happens when you fail to fulfill covenant responsibility? You get cursing. Okay, and that's what they're going to get. They're going to rebel against their brother Israel. This is all on a national level. Okay, so let's take a look at it. I'm going to show you the family feud becomes this bitter national rivalry. And with our final minutes of our class, I want to give you one example, just a taste of what we're going to trace through the entire Bible all the way to the Gospels next week. Okay, but here's kind of the watershed moment. Are they going to fulfill? Are they going to be true to this brotherly relationship? Is Edom going to be true? Are they going to fulfill 
their covenant responsibility, or are they going to rebel? So here's just one example, and we'll trace the rest next week. First of all, Edom is terrified by the news of Israel's exodus from Egypt. Isn't that ironic? Here's Edom. Warriors, wealthy, wise, up in the rocks, a dynasty of kings, chieftains, everything. What is Israel? An enslaved people. And then Yahweh comes in. Hope for the humble. And he delivers. He delivers the enslaved people with a mighty outstretched arm. The strength of Yahweh. The ten plagues. And they come out and the unbelieving nations are quivering. Suddenly their wisdom isn't wise enough. Suddenly their wealth isn't enough. Suddenly... Their warrior strength looks nothing, and they're trembling with fear. And Edom is one of those countries. Exodus 15, 14. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom, the chiefs, so strong guys, were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have, have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Why? Because Israel's so strong? No. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, pass through, our Lord, until the people pass over, you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the mountain of the promised land, the mountain of Zion. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. See, they built their lands. God's going to build his people. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. So they're, they're scared. But here's the thing. They're scared. And yet look at point two. Edom proudly refuses hum Israel's humble request to pass peacefully through their country on their way to the promised land. Turn your Bibles to Numbers 20, 14 through 21. Numbers 20, 14 through 21. Let's take a look at this. So here's the hardness of heart. They're scared, motionless. They're, they're, they're frozen like stone, okay? And yet they're not willing to repent and place their faith in this mighty God that they are seeing. So look at Numbers 20, 14 through 21. From Kadesh, Moses then sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus your brother Israel, here's the covenant responsibility. Thus your brother Israel has said, You know all the hardship that has befallen us, that our fathers went down to Egypt, and we stayed in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice, and he sent an angel and brought us out from Egypt. Now behold, we are at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please, let us pass through your land. We shall not pass through field or through vineyard. We shall not, shall not even drink water from a well. We shall go along the king's highway, not turning to the right or left. We're just going to go on the, the freeway there that you control. Edom, however, said to him, you shall not pass. Sound familiar? You shall not pass through us. And I will come out with sword against you. We're strong. We're the, we're the ones in control here. Again, the sons of Israel said to him, We shall go by the highway, and if I and my livestock do drink any of your water, then I will pay its price. Let me only pass through on my feet, nothing else. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against him with a heavy, heavy force and a strong hand. All of their arrogance, all of their strength, we got this, even though they're scared. Thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory, and so Israel turned away. So look at that. think about that story. Moses reminds them of their covenant relationship. 
He rehearses the covenant blessings. God has delivered us. We are his people. And then he makes a humble request. Just let us pass through. Just let us pass through. And Edom pulls out the sword to rebel against his brother Jacob and their God. And so guess what happens? Edom is cursed yet again for proudly refusing to help his brother. In Numbers 24, 17, just not too long after this, here is another blessing on Jacob and a curse on Esau. Listen to Numbers 24, 17 through 19. I see him, but not now. I behold him. But not near, it's way in the future. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its enemies, also will be a possession while Israel performs violently. One from Jacob shall have dominion and will destroy the remnant from the city. You know what that is? That's a prediction of the coming of Messiah. Through Judah will rise a king who will crush these pagan enemies, especially Edom, who fails in their covenant responsibility. So let's take a look as we wrap up Two. Three, three lessons. I think I have three lessons. Do I have three lessons there in your notes? Okay. First of all, you're saying like, Chris, this is a lot of history. Yeah, it's in the Bible. Okay? And here's why. The Lord God revealed his big story so you could know your story and seek him and his salvation. God reveals his story, history, so that you can understand your story in light of God's purposes. Folks, we need to know this because we are God's covenant people. This is not boring to God's covenant people. If this is boring to you, you haven't been in the Bible enough. If you're in the Bible and it's boring to you, either you don't know how to read it and we will gladly help you, or you don't know the author of the book. This is amazing stuff. And I don't know where you are in your story. If you feel betrayed by family, blood family, if you are, have a history of family feuding in your family, and you think God doesn't understand and that God doesn't care, you're wrong. He wants to bless you and deliver you out. But you need to turn to his king, Jesus. And... Still be kind to your family, but you don't have to be enslaved to their fleshly feuding and their bitter hearts. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Read your Bible. Read it repeatedly so that you remember these lessons. Lesson number one. Lesson number two. The Lord God reminds us that his sovereignty is not equal to human responsibility but is exalted over it without eliminating it. I know that's a mouthful, but you know what happens? Edom says, we are large and in charge. And God says, no, you're not. I gave you that land, and I can take it from you. And I bless who I bless, and I show mercy to who I show mercy, and I harden who I hardened, and I want to bless you. But you need to freely choose me. You need to turn and repent. We're going to see more of that next week. And then finally, it's this. And I really end with this note. The Lord God takes covenant keeping really seriously. <laughs> really seriously. And so should we. I, the thing that I stand amazed on this is here's Esau and Edom, this fleshly nation that is proud and arrogant, and God in His grace says, you're in covenant relationship, and I'll bless you, but you, you, you need to keep your covenant. So let me give you three reminders. You're born into a covenant of family. Honor your family. Treat family with respect. Seek to help them. Don't hinder them. Secondly, you're in a covenant of marriage by vow. 
God wants you to keep that covenant marriage and take it seriously. But the greatest covenant is the covenant of redemption, the covenant of grace that you're born into a second time and you vow by faith in the grace of God to be a faithful follower of Jesus. All I'm saying is, and we're going to see it next week, God takes covenants, covenant keeping very seriously. And the good news is, Jesus stood in your stead and kept your covenant promises for you. And you know what's cool? He rose from the dead to give you his spirit so that you could keep your end of the covenant. Isn't that cool? So he's the covenant keeper and he's the covenant enabler. And when we enter into covenant with him, we should live as faithful followers of him. Jacob wasn't sinless, but he did exercise faith in the covenant God. Esau was a sinner that failed to repent and did not exercise faith. Don't be Esau this morning. Follow the God of Israel. Let's pray. Father, profound, heavy-duty stuff, but thank you for revealing it. Thank you for your promise-keeping character. Thank you for your promise-keeping compassion. And Lord, thank you for warning us of the promise-breaking consequences. Oh, Lord, let us humble ourselves before your coming King who has come and is coming again. Let us humble ourselves before the humble servant, Jesus Christ, who is high and lifted up, and he can cleanse us of our sins he can break our proud hearts and give us new ones that are sensitive to the Spirit. God, let no one leave here without a covenant relationship with you. And those of us that have it, may we be humbly thankful this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.